Axis Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, black voter sentiment on President Trump and a California startup takes on the aftermath of wildfires. But first, corporate carbon. So Microsoft yesterday pledged that it will become carbon negative by 2030. Not just carbon neutral, but carbon negative. It is a massive promise from one of the world's largest companies and also includes a secondary effort to remove all the historical carbon it's admitted since being founded in 1975, although the deadline for that would be 2050. So here's how Microsoft plans to get there. First, it will expand its own internal carbon tax to apply to its supply chains, not just emissions from direct operations. Second, it'll help suppliers and customers reduce their own carbon footprints and make carbon reduction an explicit part of its procurement process. Third, Microsoft plans to create a $1 billion fund to accelerate the development of so-called carbon capture technology. And this is the part that might really matter because a 2018 UN report concluded that preventing catastrophic global heat increases must involve not just cutting carbon emission levels, but actually removing some of what's already there. It is big. It is bold. It's maybe impossible. And even Microsoft is hedging a bit when it comes to the politics. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios Energy reporter Amy Harder. But first, this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. We're joined now by Axios Energy reporter Amy Harder. So, Amy, let's start here on Microsoft. They say they are going to get to carbon negative, not even carbon neutral, carbon negative. In practical terms, what does that actually mean? That's a term that has become increasingly common in the energy and climate circles to mean that not only are they going to not emit any greenhouse gas emissions, they're actually going to capture more CO2 than they emit. And so this carbon uh, removal technology has been gaining a lot of attention over the last couple of years. Now, it's not commercially viable yet, but a lot of rich people, including Bill Gates, founder of co-founder of Microsoft, um, is investing to try to make it viable because scientists say it's likely going to be necessary on a large scale if we're really going to aggressively tackle climate change. It's really based on that, right? Because it's not that they're not going to admit carbon. For example, I mean, Microsoft's got this massive cloud computing platform that, that rivals Amazon's AWS, and, and those servers take a lot and lot of energy, particularly on cooling. It's really more, we're going to admit it, but then we're going to catch it, right? And, and, and that's kind of the, the technological goal. Right, exactly. When I did a column about this recently, I used sort of the, the crude analogy that it's a liposuction for the planet. So if you think about liposuction for somebody who's overweight, that's kind of what's happening with the planet. So you can emit all you want as long as you can take it out later. At least that's how it could work in theory. Now, an individual company will find it a lot easier to achieve such a goal, such as carbon negative in the next 10 years, than, say, the entire planet. But nonetheless, given those lack of action on this topic on a broader global scale, uh, companies that are aggressive on this front, like Microsoft and others, are trying to do what they can on the issue. On the broader climate energy side, how significant is the Microsoft announcement? Does it really matter? 
It definitely does matter. I would say this is one of, if not the most aggressive climate commitment a company of this size has made on climate change, because it goes beyond just its own internal goals. For example, it's creating a $1 billion fund to help accelerate the global development of these types of technologies. And I don't think it's a mistake that this company is being this aggressive, and its co-founder is Bill Gates, who has been integral to a lot of these same types of uh, commitments and technologies. You wrote this morning, though, that Microsoft, while it is having this very aggressive, aggressive posture toward carbon, it also is working with House Republicans here in the U.S. and helping them on their climate plans, which are far, far less aggressive. So how do we square that circle? Right. And this was an interesting sort of tidbit I accidentally stumbled upon when I was interviewing the House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy of uh, California. We were sitting down to talk about their plans on climate change. And uh, he was telling me about this phone call with one of America's biggest companies. And although he didn't say Microsoft, I asked if it was Microsoft. And he said, well, actually, yes, it was. And so the timing of it was interesting because it was literally while Microsoft was making its very aggressive climate announcement 3,000 miles away in Seattle. And Kevin McCarthy was talking about how Microsoft President Brad Smith was on the phone with him this week saying that he was supporting and wanted to help House Republicans on their efforts in this area. And this isn't unusual. Companies are often more aggressive with what they're doing, but then they strike these conciliatory tones with Congress. And I think that's because they see the writing on the wall. House Republicans aren't going to be as aggressive as Microsoft, but I think any corporation wants to be in in good spots with lawmakers. But Amy, isn't that where Microsoft, and not just Microsoft, but companies like them, you could argue BlackRock, which made its big announcement earlier this week about you know social responsibility and specifically environmental responsibility. Isn't this where they're arguably voluntarily giving up their leverage, couldn't they threaten to withhold contributions, particularly to things like congressional campaign committees, which is very important to someone like Kevin McCarthy, if they don't get more action in the direction they want? Yes, and that's why I wrote the story, because it shows this disconnect. It shows this aggressive move within companies, but then they don't take these actions in Washington. And I think that is ultimately going to be the problem, because Congress needs, I mean, most experts say that there needs to be some sort of big global policy and therefore also big U.S. policy. And until these companies see, and I don't just mean Microsoft, all uh, companies across the corporate spectrum, until they see that the status quo is less good than an aggressive policy on climate change, they're probably not going to stick their necks out because Microsoft has so many other issues they really need to push Congress on. My reading of the matter and talking with people is that when Microsoft goes to Capitol Hill, they're talking about so many more things than climate change, and they have lots of other problems. And so it's all about the status quo. And that's one reason why I focus a lot on what oil and gas companies are doing, because eventually... The status quo needs to be unsustainable for these companies to lobby Congress. And right now, the status quo is is mostly okay. I want to circle back to this idea of carbon capture. As you say, it is not currently commercially viable. And, And part of what Microsoft and Bill Gates are doing is plugging money in to try to get it there. If that's unsuccessful, if carbon capture as a technology does not prove viable, can Microsoft still get to this carbon negative goal? Or is it completely, or if not completely, is it largely reliant on that working? 
I think it definitely is largely reliant on that type of technology. I think there's other ways you could, at least on paper, get to carbon negative. There's all these other programs, for lack of a better word, where you can buy offsets of carbon credits, for example. And those have been criticized for not being very effective or, or reliable. But they basically mean if you, if you emit X amount of carbon in Seattle, if you plant a tree in Brazil, you can cancel out your carbon emissions. Now, that's controversial for other reasons. But nonetheless, I think ultimately, there's probably a couple of ways you can skin this cat. But I think for this company, but also for the world, being able to suck some of the CO2 that's already in the sky, suck it back into the ground is going to ultimately be necessary. Amy Harder of Axios, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is black political sentiment in America. Martin Luther King Day is just around the corner and the Washington Post is out with a new poll showing that 83% of black Americans believe that President Trump is a racist and has exacerbated the country's racial problems while in office. This comes at the same time as a new Harris X poll shows that 85% of black voters say they plan to choose a Democratic presidential candidate any Democratic presidential candidate over President Trump this November. That is obviously a very, very, very high number, but a bit below the 88% of black voters that Hillary Clinton won in 2016, let alone the 93% that Barack Obama won in 2012. And back to the Washington Post poll for a minute. Among black Democrats, it appears that Joe Biden remains their preferred candidate. It shows that nearly half of those surveyed prefer the former Veep, with Bernie Sanders garnering 20%. No other Democrat broke single digits. And finally this morning, we regularly hear criticism of how tech startups aren't looking to solve real problems or help real people beyond minor conveniences. And it's never really been true, but for the doubters, this morning, a Santa Rosa, California startup called Homebound announced $35 million in new venture capital funding to pursue its mission of helping folks rebuild their homes after disasters. It's the brainchild of Jack Abraham, who lost his home in the 2017 California wildfires and pairs disaster-stricken homeowners with a sort of concierge who helps guide them through the process of rebuilding and eventually moving back. It also includes a digital platform that lets homeowners monitor progress, keep tabs on their budgets, and make choices without having to regularly revisit the site in person. In short, this could become the new normal for regaining the old normal. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national hot buttered rum day. And we'll be back on Tuesday with another Pro Rata podcast.